Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hello, hello. I'm back again with Bella Linderman from the Functional Gut Health Clinic. So last episode, we talked about parasites, which was awesome, jumping into that. So if you haven't had a listen, please go back and have a listen. It was very informative. There was a lot of practical tips and tricks for you guys as well. And I really love that when I'm talking to someone who has a lot of knowledge, that there are actionable things in there that you can do. And also, if you are working with a practitioner and you're unsure as to how they're treating your parasite or what you should be doing or or other ways you can look into things. I always think it's awesome to get a second opinion, so to speak. And by that, I mean, listen to those episodes, jump onto the Functional Gut Health Clinic website. So just Google them, um, have a look at the show notes, and you'll be able to start to understand Bella's approach to gut health and how Well, what I love about Bella is that we both uh, see that the gut is the key to every other interaction in the body. So thank you again for being here today, Bella. I'm excited to jump into part two and chat all about bacteria with you. Yes, me too. Bacteria is an awesome topic. I think they're bacteria, I think, get overlooked and really they're pretty important, right? Well, I listened to a podcast the other day from, um, I'm going to lose my blank again because I listen to podcasts all the time, but they were talking about the the how much um, bacteria that is in our body. And it was like 100 billion or 100 trillion or something like that. It was a huge, huge number of the amount of bacteria that we actually carry around with us. Yeah, I think it's in the trillions. It's kind of gross, hey? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's not something we really think about because when we think about bacteria, and I personally think this whole COVID situation's um, really not blown down the water, but we've really gone, oh, bacteria, viruses, sanitize everything, clean everything, you know, all that kind of stuff. We've really become more aware of how much bacteria sits on surfaces, how it can get transported, how we can pass things on. But you don't you don't see it as such you know you don't look at your scalp or look at your hand or or look and go you know even look at your poo and go oh that's all bacteria you just look Mm. and go that's just a brown blob you know but it is predominantly bacteria in there exactly yep kind of (laughs) gross yeah exactly so we're going to talk about bacteria in the gut today because I think that this is a really important area to address. And as we've talked about parasites and the next kind of area we move on to is that bacterial overgrowth. And I just want to point out here that I remember seeing um, Michaela quite a few years ago when, and this is one of Bella's um, fellow colleagues who works at the Functional Gut Health Clinic. And I remember her saying to me, Sheridan, we've got to do a stool test because um, we need to retest to see if you still got that parasite because I said, I think there's something bacterial going on. And at the time I was like, what? Why? Who cares about the parasite? Let's deal with this bacteria stuff. And she said to me, no, no, no. It's so important that we look at that. And I do think it is important that we do 
do their thing step by step because if someone just tries to address and kind of how we've broken these episodes up if someone jumps straight into the microbiome repair without looking at parasites without looking at bacteria you're kind of doing things backwards in a sense is that correct yeah, I think there's a bit of a hierarchy that you can follow to help with, you know, success rates or getting rid of infection load and parasites kind of sit at the top of the tree. So uh, clinically, we're usually addressing parasites before we address bacterial overgrowth or dysbiosis in our clinic as well. So how do we get a bacterial overgrowth in our gut then? Because obviously out of sight, out of mind, but yes. <laughs> if we're getting other symptoms, there's clearly something going on there. Absolutely. So I think first it's important to understand that not all bacteria are bad. So let's, I'm going to break it down into three different main groups of bacteria so we can kind of understand them a bit better. But there's the opportunistic bacteria, the commensals, and the pathogenic bacteria. So group one are the commensals, or basically like the good guys, for lack of a better term. So group one bacteria, there are trillions of them. All right, trillions of these microorganisms inhabiting the human intestine. Uh, and they make up this really complex ecosystem that plays a really important role in our health. Okay, these commensal bacteria help with amazing things. So they help us get energy from the food that we eat. They help us maintain uh, gut barrier function. So you know how people talk about leaky gut? These bacteria actually help us with you know, maintaining that integrity of our gut lining. They also help us with uh, synthesizing and producing vitamins like vitamin K, and they protect against colonization from the bad guys, so parasites, opportunistic bacteria. And I'm going to mention a couple of species because I think sometimes it's helpful to have some buzzwords. So <laughs> the main species that we like to look for or the four main players who we care about the most at the moment based off the science that we have are Acomantia, Fecali bacterium, bifidobacterium and lactobacillus. And you may have heard of bifido and lacto before, right? Because they're usually in your probiotic supplements. Yep, yep. So then there is the second group of bacteria. So the strains that can become opportunistic and that may cause symptoms when they overgrow. So these are strains like Citrobacter, Klebsiella, Morginella, Pseudomonas is another one that we mentioned um, when we spoke about parasites. So the third group are the pathogenic bacteria. So these are the, the scary ones. So you may have heard of these ones before. You may have had an infection from some of these bacteria. So E. coli, Salmonella, Campylobacter, uh, Clostridium difficile or C. diff is a pretty nasty one that we've got going around um, in the world now. And these strains can cause intense symptoms when their numbers get out of control. All right. It's important to note that not all people who have these bugs will necessarily get symptoms. It's really when their numbers get out of control that they start to, you know, cause problems within the body. And, you know, as with parasites, we can get these pathogenic or these opportunistic, uh, sorry, the like the bad bacteria from exotic countries. We can get it from our home, our town water, contaminated food and drink or from family and friends. Um, I got, I gave myself um, salmonella poisoning because we went on a camping trip and I had made up meals and I didn't keep them cold enough. So I gave myself salmonella poisoning a couple oh, of years no. ago. Yeah, personal yeah. achievement. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't tolerate fat, so I was really struggling with eating fats. And like, I love eating like salmon and fish oil. Um, so, you know, oily fish and um, 
you know, nuts and seeds and that kind of thing. And I was eating all these foods. I was getting really nauseous every time I ate them. I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And so I, I did a stool test on myself and I came back with salmonella. I'm like, well, that makes sense. Did you, um, so, did you get severe onset of symptoms from it? Like if you pick yeah. up one of those pathogenetic bacteria, do you always have food, um, food poisoning type symptoms? Yeah. So for me, basically that night I got um, like what would it was more like a gallbladder pain and really nauseousness and vomiting. Um, and I didn't get any diarrhea or bowel changes. It was just more of this like vomiting and upper GI stuff that was going on. And I think it was my gallbladder was struggling probably because the salmonella had gotten into my gallbladder and that was how I was getting affected. Um, yeah. And it took me, I think it was about two months of just this persistent after that one night, um, it was just about two months of this persistent nauseousness and feeling upset in the tummy until about three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd sort of start to feel good. And then I'd be okay for the rest of the day. But like every morning I'd wake up feeling revolting and headaches and, and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, my husband's like, why don't you just do a stool test on yeah. yourself? Like, this is what you do for work. I'm yeah. like, all right. <laughs> and yeah, lo and behold, there was salmonella. I'm like, oh, that would explain that episode after we went camping. <laughs> yeah, because I had E. coli and they, like, I didn't know that I had it still because I would have done the stool testing quite a long time after I actually had a lot of the onset of symptoms because I didn't know about it. Um, but they your body doesn't always get rid of them like salmonella it, mm. it can it get rid of it naturally by itself yeah so i think um if you're if your immune system's firing yeah your body should be able to clear it but as is the case with a lot of us you know we've got other things going on we've got symptoms our immune system isn't working that well and our body just doesn't have the capacity to clear these infection loads and our microbiome maybe isn't strong enough to help with overcoming these infections either so that's our good gut bacteria who usually protect us from these infestations or colonizations of bad bugs so in in that situation it can be really hard to clear. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you, like sometimes, like in that situation with you with the salmonella and with your clinical experience, you could probably guess that you had a bacterial overgrowth. But would everyone who has a bacterial overgrowth, do you think they would know about it? Yeah, well, I think I didn't even figure it out in that case, really, did I? So that was my husband saying, why don't you do a stool test? Um, yeah, I true, think, true. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, hey? I think all clients who come through our clinic with GI symptoms have some level of bacterial dysbiosis or imbalance. Okay, so they probably got a few of those opportunistic strains, that second group. They may, not always, but they may have some of that third group, those really problematic bacteria. Um, they may also not have enough of the good gut, guys. Um, the good gut bugs. So, you know, because they're low in numbers or that they're missing those beneficial species. Um, so we call that changes in like abundance and diversity of those good gut bugs. Um, so that's sort of what we see. And it can be really hard to correlate symptoms uh, with like specific bacterial things that are going on in your gut. Um, so since there's often lots going on, again, we're relying on lab testing to really figure out what the case is for these people yeah yeah so the lab testing let's go back to that because we touched on that briefly with the um with the parasite as well the lab testing is a stool sample so it's a comprehensive stool sample mm -hmm. um so would you use the same uh stool sample the same technology the same comprehensive gi mapping that you would use for a parasite you would use that to looking for bacteria as well 
Yeah, so I think a stool test gives you a really good look at what's going on in the large intestine uh, or the colon, and that's really helpful. And that's where we would start. Um, I think sometimes people can get a bacterial overgrowth in their small intestine as well. And stool testing is not good for working out what's going on in the small intestine because the small intestine bacterial environment is completely different to the large intestine. Okay, so if we think that someone has what we call SIBO or a small intestine bacterial overgrowth, we would do a different test. We would do a lactulose breath test for those people or a glucose breath test um, yep. as well. Yeah, and I think um, it's, it's also just helpful to know that in the small intestine, it's usually different bugs causing problems. So E. coli and Klebsiella are usually the main bacteria causing issues in that environment. In your large intestine, it could be species like Enterobacter, Proteus, Prevotellus, Strep, Stap, uh, sorry, Strep, Staph, or Pseudomonas, you know, and there's tons more. So um, using the right testing for the right parts of the GI tract based off the symptoms that clients are presenting with is, is how we try and work out what's going on and what type of bacterial overgrowth that they have. Yeah, so I've got two questions. And the first one, so if you are seeing E. coli and Klebsiella on a stool sample, mm -hmm. are you is are you assuming that it's grown over into SIBO then or it's just presenting in the large intestine or yeah, not at all. So if you see E. coli or Klebsiella on a stool test, that's the colon. It's a completely separate environment to the small intestine. Yeah. So uh, in 2020, they did some research to look at like who are the dominant players when uh, people get SIBO and yeah. it was through taking <laughs> basically in the studies they said juices from the small intestine that they were able to map the small intestine like microbiome in that environment and they found that it's just completely different and you can't yeah. use a stool test to accurately um, diagnose SIBO. Yeah wow wow that's that's fascinating so what would the symptom differences be like if someone's listening to this and they're going oh I suspect I have a bacterial you know overgrowth there's definitely something going on I've got all these symptoms and my gut feels completely out but I don't know if I've got SIBO should I go get a breath test or I don't know if I should go get a GI map or a comprehensive stool test what's the diff uh, key differences in symptoms? Yeah, it's so tricky. Like often I'll get a client that comes through the clinic and I'll think, oh yeah, classic case of SIBO. You'll get the SIBO breath test back and it'll be flatlined and there's, you know, their stool test will be full of bacteria. It's really hard to tell because it's such a complex environment. Um, you know, they say that the classic small intestinal SIBO symptoms are bloating or upper GI bloating. So people who eat food in about 15, 20, 30 minutes later, they're starting to get bloated already. That could be a big clue. But then, you know, I found clients who didn't have SIBO that had that as a symptom um, because they had something going on in their stomach you know bacterial issues going on in their stomach so um that's you know the in terms of clues we're looking for you're looking for things like that um, yeah but yeah it's so hard it's so hard to tell yeah yeah you're you're right and I think that comes always comes back to that um you know looking looking for the root cause and not just treating the symptoms or using a band-aid effect but the other thing that is really nice and I know this testing adds up and it gets expensive when you're doing the testing and you're buying the supplements and you're seeing mm. the practitioner and I think that's one of the biggest thing I do see in clinic is that sort of financial burden that people do struggle with to do it all but in an ideal world if you could do it all you would want to do both of them because a like you said they're looking for different things but b your comprehensive stool testing is giving you more functional indicators whereas a SIBO breath test is 
just typically telling you about um, the methane or the hydrogen or what type of bacteria are there as opposed to, you know, digestive enzymes or leaky gut or all the other, you know, good gut flora and all that jazz that's going on. Yeah, I think if I was on a budget, I'd do a comprehensive stool test first and I'd leave the SIBO test later. Yep, yep. So what kind of bacteria do you normally see if you do get some testing done? Yeah, so uh, it depends on where you're looking in the GI tract. So let's focus on the small intestine and then we'll talk about the large intestine since we're on on the SIBO bandwagon. (laughs) Um, So in the small intestine, we would do a breath test to work out whether there is an overgrowth of bacteria in this part of the GI tract that's contributing to a client's symptoms. So the SIBO breath test can either use a lactulose or a glucose substrate. Um, it, if, if clients have more of a diarrhea dominant picture, we might use glucose as our testing substrate. If they're constipated, then we would probably use lactulose. If they've got a mixed profile, I would use lactulose. That's sort of what we're using at the moment as our guidelines for choosing which one to use. And on the breast test, what we're looking for is elevations in hydrogen and methane and on some labs also hydrogen sulfide gases, which can indicate a bacteria or archaea, which is another type of bug and archaea is a different sort of species that can overgrow in our small intestine and basically produce that excess gas level. So what we're looking for in the small intestine is too much bacteria. All right, so we're looking for an excess because there is supposed to be bacteria in there, just not too much. And it's those species that we were talking about, the E. coli and the Klebsiella and the Archaea, which are, get ready for this, Methanobrevibacter smithii. It has been confirmed they are the main players in the small intestine. <laughs> and in the in terms of the hydrogen, so let's break this down. So E. coli and Klebsiella are the main hydrogen gas producers. Yeah. Methanobrevibacter smithii is the main methane producer and disulfovibrio and a couple of other strains are the main hydrogen sulfide gas producers that we're looking for or that we're thinking about in the small intestine. So we can't actually look for those bugs unless we um, do more like invasive um, testing. So we're using our, like taking a culture, which we're not going to do because we're not going to be digging around down in the small intestine. Um, So we're using the breath test to work out what's going on in there. Wow. Wow. And that's, the names are amazing for starters. There's a lot going on with that. Um, I like it when they've kind of been broken down into like E. coli or we just get a little bit Australian with it and we just breathe everything. Um, But I wondered how long has SIBO testing been around for, do you think? Like how long have we been looking for these kinds of things? Um, That is a good question. I know SIBO, like Commercial labs um, didn't really start doing SIBO breath testing until sometime after 2010. I think prior to that, there was labs who were doing it, but it was more research science-based. So the technology now is really cool. And we've just introduced this third gas, the hydrogen sulfide, because we, I mean, if you want to get into gas, I love this stuff. If you want to get into gas dynamics, let me know. But (laughs) basically there's the three different gases that we can look for, for three different types of bacteria and archaea that can cause problems in the small intestine is all it really comes down to so if we find those species then we're wanting to address them and hopefully then on retesting if we address those overgrowths and the reason why they overgrow um, then the gas levels will go down and we won't see those elevations and that is a good sign that's sort of what we're looking for yep yep so then in the large intestine we're using different technology to work out what 
is going on. That's correct? Yeah, absolutely. So same as you, we would do DNA PCR stool testing. So the same lab that we would use to work out parasites, um, we would use that. And that test is going to cover off the pathogenic bacteria, so that third type, the Salmonella shigella E. coli. Um, and then we're also going to look at the opportunistic bacteria, which is that second type of bacteria that we talked about. Uh, so the Enterobacter, Proteus, Prevotella, Strep, Staph, Pseudomonas. Um, and then it will usually, like a good comprehensive stool test will either, you know, usually provide you with a good little section on all of your good gut bugs to talk about how are they going. So that's your Lacto, Bifido, Fecali bacterium and Acomancia. Um, you know, we could probably do a whole podcast on each of these species there. Um, you know, there's just so much to consider for each one of them. Yep. Um, so we, yeah, we'll probably leave it at that, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, oh, man, I, you could nerd out on this stuff all day. Actually, do you cover in your, so for those who haven't listened to episode one of the part one, two, three series with Bella Linderman from the Functional Gut Health Clinic, do you cover much information on any of this in your course that you offer? Yeah, in the Constipation Masterclass, I do a bit, um, not too much because I think uh, it, like at the point where you're getting down to species level, you don't really know that information unless you've done testing. I think we're more focusing on like all of the root causes for constipation um, rather than like what's causing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So circling back, we've got all this bacteria going on here. Someone's like, ah, oh no, what do I do now? Like there's, I'm sure there's something going on. Can we treat this bacteria? Yes, you can definitely bring the bacteria back into balance because that's what we want to do. We don't want to eradicate it completely. In most uh, cases, we want to bring it back into balance. So let's focus on the pathogenic and the opportunistic bacteria first, and then we can have a chat about the beneficial gut bacteria um, like later. So for many of the pathogenic strains like Salmonella and Shigella, for most people, they actually pass pretty quickly from your system. And I mean, I say quickly, but it can take a couple months, but that's pretty quickly in you know, the life cycle of a, of a bacterial strain. Yep. So if your immune system's working really well, it will clear faster than if your immune system's not working that well. Um, for E. coli, we actually have these cool things called phages. And we use phage-based probiotics and they work really well. So a bacteriophage is this tiny little bundle of DNA and RNA that's encased in like a little protein envelope. Um, and they can attach to the specific strains of unwanted bacteria like the E. coli in the intestines and they help pull it out of the body. How cool is that? Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Bacteriophages. Um, then for the opportunistic bacteria like Citrobacter, Klebsiella, Proteus, etc., we like to use our targeted antimicrobials again. So clinically, we like to use Allicin or Alimax, olive leaf extract or berberine containing herbs and, and blends. And these products are really great at selecting for the opportunistic bacteria and bringing them back under control while sparing the good gut bacteria. Um, as we mentioned previously, when we were talking about parasites though we we try to rotate and we don't use them forever there's usually a time limit of like a month or two and then we're moving on because um, it doesn't take that long and often we'll use like a biofilm disruptor and we'll use some detox support products as well to help clients with minimizing the dire symptoms that can often come with eliminating these infections that put off a lot of waste and toxic pro byproducts when you get rid of them 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. That that all makes sense. And as you've kind of mentioned, there are slightly different herbs to when you're treating parasites as well. Mm-hmm. But it also, as you talked about earlier, comes back to supporting, you know, adrenals and mental state and stress reduction and diet and everything else on top of doing all these supportive herbs as well. Exactly. I think getting rid of um, a bacterial overgrowth or fixing a bacterial overgrowth, it's really coming down to exactly supporting the whole body, supporting the immune system, supporting the liver, the adrenals, making sure everything's online, making sure you're eliminating properly. If you're constipated, you're going to feel miserable while you're using these antimicrobials and trying to clean this infection load out. Uh, it will just make you feel worse. So making sure everything is online, the body's working really well, it's well supported before we start addressing the infection load. And I think that's why a lot of people struggle to tolerate antimicrobials and things because they don't have all the support products on board yeah for sure for sure so did you want me to have a chat about SIBO and what to do about SIBO quickly as well? Yeah, that would be awesome because I definitely know there's some people who have heard about SIBO because it comes as a little bit, I feel like it's become a little bit of a catchphrase as well these days. Like, oh, I think I've got SIBO, you know, it sounds a little bit sexier in a sense than like, oh, I think yeah. I've got a bacterial overgrowth and people are like, oh, okay, you get away from me. Yeah. That's so true. Um, SIBO is a bit of a buzzword, isn't it? So SIBO is also a tricky beast. So you don't actually want SIBO. You just want the plain old bacterial overgrowth, not the SIBO. Um, So if a client has lots of bacteria in the small intestine, just addressing that bacteria is not going to work. You actually need to find out why that bacteria is accumulating in that environment. Um, So we would address that before we would start antimicrobials and working on the overgrowth. So, you know, we want to know, did they get SIBO or that buildup of bacteria in the small intestine because they had a bout of food poisoning that damaged this thing called the migrating motor complex? So it's like this cleansing wave like movement that moves through the small intestine and clears the bacteria and waste products away. There are certain strains of bad bacteria that can basically damage that migrating motor complex. And then you can end up with this buildup of bacteria in the small intestine. If that's the case, then we need to address the migrating motor complex before we clear away the buildup of bacteria because it'll just keep coming back. That's probably the most common reason why people get SIBO, but there are some others as well. So um, I think particularly important for your uh, the people who listen to your podcast is people that might have adhesions from abdominal surgeries, so endometriosis surgeries and yes. things like that. Yeah, if you get like adhesions where the scar tissue from your surgical sites is sticking to your intestines, then that's impacting motility through the small intestine. And people can end up with a bacterial overgrowth in their small intestine because their intestines aren't clearing away that, that bacteria and waste products. Um, so that's another really important thing to address. And if that was the case then you'd want to go and see someone and get some visceral manipulation which is an abdominal massage to help with breaking down those adhesions it's actually a really gentle massage Um, and you break down the adhesions and then at that point you can actually effectively address the bacterial overgrowth there are other root causes but they're probably the main ones before you would even come in with your antimicrobial herbs Um, and the sort of herbs that we're using are products those berberine containing herbs again and neem and sometimes we'll use oregano as well that's interesting though that you know it's not just um how am I gonna say this probably you know like like anything SIBO just doesn't just appear like it's Mm. like a pimple on your face right it doesn't just appear it can be from a multiple of reasons it could be yes the bacteria that's in your skin or your microbiome and that's inflamed and that's caused the pimple head but why why is it actually coming is there stress is there insulin is it hormonal fluctuations and I guess it's the same with the gut isn't it like it's 
it's that bacteria is not just there for no reason there's underlying causes and often you know we might think that this bacteria is the root cause but it, it might be the root cause for your constipation but what's the what's the root cause that the bacteria is there as well there's got to be a reason for that too yeah exactly it's um it all comes back to root causes yeah yeah well that was a pretty in-depth um, episode. So for those who are listening and gone, wow, that's just gone completely over my head. I really want to know more. Um, it's, yeah, full of information, but you can listen to it again and again, which is a beautiful thing as well. But you can also jump onto the Functional Gut Health Clinic website. You can have a look at some of Bella's amazing posts on these kinds of things. I will also link her website, her um, course, the Constipation Master. Masterclass. That's going to be linked into the show notes as well. And if you haven't listened to episode one, Bella is generously giving you $150 off the course as well. So I'll link in the code for that one. Um, is there any other places that I've missed where we can contact you, Bella? No, I think that's it. Just um, on the website or on the Facebook or check out the blog. I think if you're interested in SIBO, we've got a really nice SIBO blog. It's like a three-part SIBO blog post that's helpful and can give you some more detail about that if that's useful. Actually, yeah, you're right about that because I know I've sent that to quite a few people because it's just so informative and kind of goes over what we've spoken about today. But some people are more visual than audio and you can actually read through and sort of take notes and go, oh, okay, cool, my practitioner's doing this or I should think about that or, you know, whatever the case is. So thank you so much for breaking that down for us today. If you haven't listened to episode one on Parasites, please go back and have a listen. Um, this is episode two on the bacterial changes and our last part that we will cover will be microbiome restoration. So thank you so much, Bella, for jumping on here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share and let's get women talking.